Welcome to the Sober Mofos podcast, where we discuss how to get sober, how to stay sober, and how to live a healthy, happy life in sobriety. My name is Dirk Foster, and I'm a sobriety coach and author, and I've been sober since 2007. If you're an alcoholic like me, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Alcohol is not your problem, okay? Alcohol is not the problem. Alcohol is not your problem. And that's what we're going to explore today. Before we start, I want to invite you to visit my website at SoberMofos.com. There you'll find lots of free resources, articles, blog posts, videos, as well as books and audiobooks on addiction, recovery, and sobriety. Again, the website address is SoberMofos.com. So let's talk about sobriety and how alcohol is not actually the problem. Getting sober means we stop drinking, correct? Sobriety is about never drinking alcohol or indulging in drug use, right? Like so many other people who struggle with with addiction, I personally was under the impression when I first got sober that if I were to stop drinking alcohol every day, I would be sober and happy. My logic at the time went something like this. One, I ask for help. Two, I receive help. Three, I stop drinking. And four, I sit back and watch as I become a raging success in every part of my life. I don't think it's unreasonable to suggest that many people upon starting their own sober journey think this way when they first put down the bottle. It's not uncommon for people who are in the early stages of sobriety to be surprised by the fact that they still feel lousy all the time. I experienced this phenomenon myself. The early stages of my sobriety were plagued by intense emotional discomfort and spiritual angst. Even though I had stopped drinking, I often felt as bad or sometimes worse than I did when I was drinking. What the hell, I thought. I was supposed to magically feel feel a million times better once I stopped drinking. How come I still feel like complete crap most of the time and suffer with intense feelings of insecurity, anger, and frustration? During the early stages of my recovery, there were times when doing even the simplest task, like going to the store or, I don't know, asking someone for directions felt excruciating. Just talking to another person was so painful sometimes. The most intense discomfort always occurred when I was required to speak with other humans. For me, that was really difficult. I have, I have always felt, felt ill at ease um, around other people, especially groups, either small or large groups. What I realized early in my life is that, that I felt so much discomfort around other people that drinking became the only way that I could find a sense of um, ease. In social situations, I was and remain introverted and shy, and that's just how I am. So why wouldn't I utilize any substance that can make me feel comfortable being around other people? This is one of the great difficulties that people with addictive personalities have to face when they're in recovery. We often have a desire to interact socially, but it comes with a price. And that price manifests in intense feelings of awkwardness whenever we have to socialize. I had always known that I was shy. 
However, it wasn't until I started working on my own sobriety that I came to realize that alcohol had served as a crutch that helped me hobble my way through many of life's moments of discomfort, especially socializing. Once I stopped drinking, the discomfort still existed, but the tool that gave me the relief, alcohol, was no longer available to me. It wasn't a choice. I had only two choices. One, acknowledge my discomfort and learn how to deal with it, or two, go back to drinking and hope hope for relief. As you might guess, of course, the second option was not really a choice for me anymore. I couldn't go back and drink to find relief. I wanted to I wanted to be sober. The last thing in the world I wanted to do to do was to give up and go back to what was destroying my life, drinking. I was determined to stay sober at all costs, which meant I had no other choice but to face the real problem, which was deep haunting insecurity. Okay, so that brings me to the point of this. Alcohol was not my problem. It was this deep haunting level of insecurity that I have or had and have still to some extent today. What I came to realize over time with the help of many people who I met on my journey of self-discovery and in sobriety was that I was not only shy and introverted, but suffered with profound emotional um, psychological wounds that made me feel insignificant, useless, and unlovable. The real problem was not alcohol. Alcohol abuse was nothing more than an external reaction to what I was feeling inside. I was using alcohol to repress a lifetime of fear, anger, resentment, and a whole bunch of other things. Not until I was ready and willing to face my internal life would I be truly sober as I now define sobriety. So I define sobriety as not just the absence of drinking alcohol. It's about recovering and being sober emotionally and psychologically and spiritually. Sobriety in its truest sense is not the absence of alcohol in one's body. Alcohol in and of itself is an inanimate, harmless substance. Alcohol is nothing more than liquid that's contained in a bottle or can. Okay, that's all alcohol is. It has no real significance on its own, much like, uh, um, I don't know, rat poison has no significance on its own. However, once we ingest the poison, everything changes quickly. So that's how, you know, I, I view alcohol. It's nothing more than an inanimate object. It's a form of poison to me anyway. It's harmless in and of itself, but once I swallow it, it becomes quite harmful to me. Drinking alcohol for people like me is like swallowing poison. Alcohol on its own is harmless. But once it goes down my throat into my stomach and it gets absorbed into my central nervous system and ultimately my brain, everything changes and usually not for the better. If I know this to be true, the real question is why do I do it? Why do I consume the poison that is going to kill me? The answer is deceptively simple. I consume the poison, alcohol, because it temporarily alters the way I feel inside. That's pretty much it. That's the answer to the question. I drank to cover emotional damage and psychological wounds. Perhaps this seems obvious to some people, but to me it was a revelation. Once I learned and fully comprehended that alcohol was not actually the problem in my life, 
that the problem that I needed to face was internal, not external, my real sobriety began. Long-term sobriety is about accepting, facing, and ultimately healing the myriad wounds we carry within. Alcohol wasn't the problem I had to face when I first got sober. Covering up my problems by drinking was like putting a band-aid on a bullet wound. It served only as a temporary, ineffectual solution to a much deeper problem. Once I was able to see this and fully understand it, the real process of healing finally began. So that brings me to the to the idea of pain. You know, what what is pain and how do we deal with pain? And I mean psychological and emotional pain. <clears throat> and pain can be a great teacher if we're just willing to kind of open our minds. If you've ever been kicked in the head by a horse, chances are good you'll think twice before walking behind the same horse in the future. Okay? Human beings are adaptive creatures. We've been given the ability to learn quickly from our mistakes, especially mistakes that cause pain or trauma. However, many of us choose to ignore what we've learned, instead choosing to pursue other self-destructive tendencies. Often this willingness to ignore our mistakes results in compounding difficulties and further pain down the road. All right, if that makes sense. This brings me to the to brings to mind the many occasions when I put myself in danger as the result of my addictions. One incident stands out on my, in my mind that I want to share. It was a year before I finally got sober. I had a blowout with my then girlfriend and had moved into a cheap motel room in Los Angeles. Drowning in self pity, I proceeded to drink as in, an insane amount of alcohol. And at some point during the evening, I collapsed and found myself unable to move. All right. (laughs) So it it seems funny now. At the time, it certainly was. It was very serious at the time. But I look back at it now with some degree of humor because it was a long time ago. So I lay on the filth, this filthy carpet and my body was immobilized by alcohol poisoning. My brain was functioning enough that I felt terrified, convinced that I was going to die that night only to be found days later after rigor mortis had set in. It was a nightmare scenario and which I had put myself into without regard for the people who loved me, whose lives would forever be altered should I die under such pathetic circumstances. Miraculously, I awoke the next day having survived somehow. And and this is an event that I discuss in, in, in my books. I have a book in particular called Polluted My Sober Journey, which goes into more detail about that night and what happened and how I came out of it and what happened afterwards. But for now, um, suffice to say, I woke the next day. I had made a vow that I would never drink again. And that vow lasted for probably 24 hours. (laughs) By the next day, I was drinking like, like usual, as if nothing had happened. And in fact, I continued to drink for another year. That last and final year of my drinking was was gruesome and dangerous. Only by the grace of God and the help I received from others did I finally get sober, as I discussed in um, uh, you know in other podcasts and, and in in my books. The point is the pain I suffered on that motel floor, and the awful realization of what I was going I was doing to myself was not enough to deter me from continuing my self destructive path. 
I still had a lot more drinking and drugging to do, even though I had clearly been given a sign that it was time to stop or I was going to die a miserable alcoholic death. So this is not an uncommon phenomenon amongst alcoholics and addicts. Quite often, we're given a clear picture of the pain we are causing ourselves. Nonetheless, we continue moving forward, learning nothing, or so it seems. But pain can teach us so much if we're just willing to learn from our experiences. When we finally do get sober, it can only help to look back at our lives and evaluate how we got to where we are today. We are given the opportunity to review and judge our actions in the past so that we might improve our future, right? Pain and, pain, pain and painful experiences can teach us much of what we need to know about ourselves. So pain can become a great teacher. Many people suffer through traumas, particularly childhood traumas, that run so deep that the wounds seem impossible to heal. But often, even the most painful experiences and memories can teach us what we need to learn so that we don't repeat the mistakes of the past, even if those mistakes were inflicted upon us by others. Quite often, trauma and pain from the past requires forgiveness. <laughs> and this is a hard one for a lot of people. Forgiveness is never easy, nor does it happen overnight in most cases. However, Forgiveness is often the only chance we have to release the pain and sorrow that haunts us. If we are able to forgive ourselves for the mistakes we've made and to forgive others who have harmed us, we stand a much better chance of surviving, surviving and succeeding in sobriety. Pain can be a great teacher if we're willing to learn what it was what, or what it has to teach. In order for us to avoid repeating the past, especially the negative parts, we can take the opportunity to review any pain we've experienced, then evaluate how it affected our present life so that, so that we might avoid repeating the same patterns in the future. If we've been kicked in the head by a horse, once the pain should be... So let me, let me repeat that. If we've been kicked in the head by a horse once, okay? The pain should be sufficient to teach us to avoid the same mistake yet again. Finally, I want to talk about fear, all right? Because what I've discovered is most of our fears are imagined. What do I mean by that? So to illustrate the point I want to make, somewhere along the way, I developed a crippling fear of flying, all right? It wasn't always like that. When I was much younger as a child and even into my teens, I looked forward to taking flights any chance I could get. And I clearly remember the excitement I felt every time I flew from California to the East Coast to visit my grandmother when I was a child. I eagerly boarded the plane and felt a thrill as the engines roared to life and we lifted off, lifted off the earth and into the sky. For many years, flying was something I, to look forward to not to dread. But things changed during my college years. I used to fly frequently between California and Boston where I was attending college. At first, flying back and forth never bothered me. However, I was often hung over on those flights I took across the country. My college days, of course, were filled with a great deal of partying resulting in frequent hangovers, which would only increase in the coming years. As most heavy drinkers know, hangovers quite often create anxiety. I certainly experienced many hangovers that involved anxiety and even paranoia. 
While flying back and forth from coast to coast, we were often caught in bad weather, including um, snowstorms. This com combined with my anxiety-riddled hangovers eventually evolved into a hesitancy about flying. So over time, my hesitancy turned into outright fear of flying. As time went by and I got older, this fear of flying developed into an intense phobia. And by my early 30s, I was terrified to get on a plane. It was ridiculous. And when I did fly, I would drink myself into a blinding stupor just to be able to board the plane. My fear of flying became so acute that I, that, that I went an entire decade, 10 years, without boarding a commercial airline. I even, I, I'm ashamed to say it, I even missed my grandmother's funeral as a result of my inability to get on an airplane, something that still to this day causes, causes me pangs of regret and shame. The first time I got back on an airplane was in 2011. And I had been sober for uh, a, a few years and, and made the decision that I was going to start flying again no matter what. Come hell or high water, I was going to get back on airplanes and travel again. And at that time, I was in a long-distance relationship with a woman who is now my wife. Um, Danny is her name, was still living in Los Angeles, and I was living in um, another side of, uh, on the other side of California. However, I had moved to the other side of the state, which made our relationship long-distance, of course, and we were determined to keep our relationship going, and it was impractical for me to drive across the state every two weeks to visit her. I finally boarded my first flight in many years to visit her, and I took my seat and felt the old phobia rising, trying to overwhelm my brain. That The fight-or-flight response was intense. Before the doors had closed, I even considered getting off the plane and driving instead. A man took, and this is where it got interesting, a man took a seat next to me who tur it turns out was a rabbi. Uh, and I'm not Jewish. And though I'm not Jewish, I felt a sense of ease and, and comfort knowing that a man dedicated to God was sitting next to me. And we, be we began a casual conversation. And at some point, I revealed to him my phobia and the fact that I hadn't flown in many years. And this man smiled gently and without judgment and, and told me that in his experience, he had found that most of our fears are only imagined much like the monsters that live in the minds of children, you know, the monsters in the closet, so to speak. The monsters are not real, but our mind tries to convince us otherwise. If we're only really willing to realize and accept that most of our fears are not real, we can easily find the courage we need to move forward and achieve whatever we want in life. I don't know why his words were so powerful at that moment, but my fears diminished significantly. It was just what I needed to hear at that moment, I guess. The plane took off, flew smoothly, and we landed in Los Angeles without incident. You know, surprise, surprise, right? My fear of flying didn't cease immediately at that point. It still, it still took several more years before I was comfortable flying on a regular basis. And even to this day, I experience mild hesitation whenever I'm about to board a plane. But the difference is now I board the plane nonetheless. Fear or no fear, I get on the plane and I fly wherever I want to go. Most of our fears in life are imagined, as this rabbi had informed me that day many years ago. 
whether it's the fear of flying, the fear of people, the fear of failure, financial fear, or whatever, the things we fear the most often come from our imagination, and we have no real power. They have no real power over us, these fears. They're just imagined. So if we're, if we're simply willing to keep moving forward, walking through our fear instead of running from our fear, we have a much better, we have a much greater chance of success in every aspect of our lives, especially in our sobriety. If sobriety has taught me anything, it's that fear has been one of the most destructive forces in my life. For too many years, I allowed fear to keep me from experiencing and achieving the things I wanted. I was also fearful of sobriety, right? I was afraid of getting sober, which could be the topic of an entire book in and of itself, which maybe I will write someday. Once I finally got sober and was able to rebuild my life and face my fears, my life changed dramatically for the better. I still experience fear from time to time, like a monster in my head that tries to keep me from doing the things I want in life. But I do my best to ignore the fear and just keep moving forward. I try never to allow the fear to stop me or to hold me back. Fear is usually just my imagination running wild. Instead of giving into it, I always do my best to ignore it, putting one foot in front of the other as I head down the path of greater experience, unshackled by fear. So I'm going to close it up and just leave you with this. It's important to remember that as alcoholics, addicts, alcohol is not the problem. It's a much deeper issues that we need to address and we shouldn't allow fear of any kind to keep us from achieving what we want. And we especially should not allow fear to keep us from getting sober. All right. So I will leave you with that. Um, thank you for listening. Again, if you have a chance, please go to my website, SoberMofos.com. Um, check it out. There's a lot of information um, there for you about um, addiction, recovery, and sobriety. And um, until we speak again, um, please be safe. Thanks.